0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome. It's good to have you here today as we are in our third week of kind of a laid-back vacation mood in our series called Kipona Aloha. In Hawaiian, that means deep love. As we're journeying through this letter of 1 John this summer, and uh, we happened so far to have gone through a number of steps. We found out, first of all, in the first week, that God's love is not some abstract, sentimental, gee, I wish I kind of sort of love you from a distance thing. <laughs> you know, it's easy to love people from a distance, right? That's not love. God's love is very, what we found in, in the flesh, incarnation is the word, that God comes to us as fully human, fully divine in the person of Jesus Christ it's specific it's graphic it's real and that's the kind of love that we have from God that great lengths he has gone to to have fellowship with us and last week we also learned what it meant to walk in the light versus in the darkness and walking in the light is not to walk in moral perfection like i've got to be perfect there's a lot of churches where it's like if you you show up you better be perfect you know it's like we're not one of them, <laughs> just for you to know we're not one of them. You don't have, you've got an imperfect pastor, a bunch of imperfect people that gather together here. Walking in the light is actually walking in openness to God and his word and truth. It's not being perfect by any means. In fact, we found out last week that those who were walking in darkness said that they were perfect, that they were fine, that they were beyond sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive not God, ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. So walking in the light is able to be who we are before God and with others, open, transparent, to have real fellowship and community. And today we are continue kind of this thought about what it means to walk in the light and that it means to know who God is and to be known by God. That's the gospel, the good news. And you can have certainty. That is, you can know that you know. We're going to find that out as we are now in 1 John chapter 2, and just read the first six verses. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay. There are things that you know. Right? There are things that you know. There are also things that you don't know that you actually do know. And you go like, haven't you ever said something? I didn't know that. I didn't know I knew that. Have you ever said that? No. Okay. well, I have. (laughs) There are also things you don't know that you don't know. And there are things that you know that you don't know. Have you followed me with all of those? So what do you know? There was a show, um, I think it was, uh, it's still on? We keep missing it. Not Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. It was called What Do You Know? And the answer was with Michael Feldman on National Public Radio was not much. That was the answer. And if you ever watched the show, it was a little comedy thing, but they also ask very bizarrely trivial questions that nobody knew the answers to. And that's the truth. Often we don't know too much, but today we're going to talk about the fact of the one thing that we do know, and how we can know the deep love of God and what that means. Um, With the advent of Google and other search engines, you don't have to know much. All you have to know is where to find the answers, right? Well, we're going to say, even today, Christians don't know at all. We don't know everything. We don't have a corner on the market of knowledge. But the one thing, the one we know, the one who knows us, that makes all the difference. Okay, So today we're going to explore what 1 John 2.3 says, and that is, by this we know that we have come to know him. Did you see that? We, we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments, we're going to um, explore what that actually means. To know that we have come to know. And what that really means is you can be sure whom you know You can be sure and have certainty over your faith in Jesus Christ. So today, from this passage, these are the three points. How you know you know. (laughs) I know. I know. It's kind of funny. What it means to know and how you live because you know. Now, this first point, how you know you know, that is, how you can be sure, how that you can be certain of who you know and what you know about salvation, that is... um, a lot of people find it offensive. I don't know if you've realized. You go like, what? Yes. like, um, wh- So a few years ago, like a couple decades ago, 25 years ago, I don't remember, Lisa. We were out in California. I think it was even on my birthday. And everybody in our household was sick. Okay, New Year's Eve is my birthday. And yeah, good tax write-off. And, um, <laughs> New Year's Eve is my birthday, and it just so happened the gift of the day, everybody in the household was sick, but the gift of the day was the doorbell rang, and it happened to be a couple of people from, I think they were Mormons. And they had no idea that they had just rung the doorbell of a pastor's house. (laughs) What a gift, yeah. The thing that I shared with them, though, was not to try to one-up them in any ways, but I just shared with them that I was 100% certain that I was going to spend eternal life with God, and they were dumbfounded. How can you know for sure? Because, you know, um, Mormonism, kind of like a number of other branches off of, but not derivative, that are more works-based faith systems, Christianity or religion is all about moral behaviors and attitudes and thoughts and so it's about going to church and making sure you've done enough and you're good enough and all that type of stuff and so Christianity becomes about the Christian and how well they respond or religion is about me and what I do and for me to say I'm 100% certain that I'm going to have eternal life with God sounds absolutely arrogant. Do you understand that? Because they're saying, well, how are you? Boy, you must think you're really good. You know, why are you so sure about yourself? And honest, I am not so sure about myself. I don't think I'm that good. In fact, I know I'm not. Okay? I am not sure about myself. I would counter Christianity is not about the Christian, it is about the Christ. Okay? Do you understand that? And we're going to say that a few times today just so it sinks in because it is so frickin' important. So religious people think that, oh, you're so sure about yourself. No, I am so sure about my Savior. That's the difference. But also in this world, irreligious and or secular and or most people in our society that kind of fall somewhere between the spiritual and not spiritual part, whatever that is, they also find it a bit arrogant for anyone to say that they know something for sure, especially about salvation and God and things. They'd look at you and say, well, now, wait a minute. Um, That might be your private, personal value system, and it might work for you, but everybody has a a, uh, a sliver of the truth, everybody has some truth that works for them. That's your truth, and I'm glad that's your truth. My truth is different. And how the one thing they say you can be certain of is that no one can be certain. Did you catch that? You can be sure that no one can be sure. but do you realize when you say that there no one has the truth? And the one truth is that nobody has the corner on truth. You've already made a absolutely unverifiable truth claim that is absolute above every other claim. (laughs) It's a contradiction in terms to try to say that. And um, Christians don't claim we have the corner on all truth. Okay. And when we, uh, we may come across a bit arrogant, and I would apologize for that whenever we do. But what we are claiming is that we have found, we have been found by the truth. And the truth is a person. And that truth that he has shared, who he is, is saving truth. We may not know everything about mathematics, or astrophysics, or economics, and we don't need to necessarily know all those things. God may speak into any area, but in this one thing, in this one area, what we know, whom we know, we can know God personally and intimately because God has showed himself personally and intimately in Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about the Christian, but about the Christ. John says it at the beginning here in 1 John 2, we read it. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with him, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Notice who's the righteous one? Not me. (laughs) Not me. Who's the advocate? Not me. Who's the propitiation? Not me. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So that kind of covers me. Somewhere, I'm part of the world, right? John is saying he he doesn't want anyone to sin, but when you do, we have an advocate, someone who comes alongside of you, uh, someone who uh, vouches for you, someone who takes your place, someone who, um, who stands in your place. He's the righteous one. He is the propitiation. He's the one that covers over. He is the one that takes care of it all. Christianity is about this one, the Christ, not the Christian. You don't need to know every aspect about God. I know that's like, well, first of all, you can't, okay? There are parts of God that are so hidden and well beyond my brain and capacity, and God knows it, and God says, don't even go there. Don't even try to understand, but you can know this one personally, and intimately, and fully, who God comes to us in human form, in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully divine, so that you can know him personally, and intimately, and completely. And the only reason I know, I know, is because he has shown himself to us, and has promised to be in Christ, there for us, 100%. If you know If you know Jesus, you know God. If there is no Jesus, there is no God that you can know. Did I just confuse you? If you know Jesus, you know God. If there is no Jesus, there is no way for you to really know God at all. And God, we say in this letter, John has been saying God has done everything to get so close to you that he becomes bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh, that he knows you better than you know yourself. I don't even know everything about myself, by the way, but he knows everything about me and he comes to me in all my needs and I can trust him, bank my life on him, plan on him, build on him. Jesus is the way that I know. You know, those people, so whether you're religious or you're irreligious and you think when a Christian says, I am sure, 100% sure that I'm going to have eternal life with God um, and they go like, well, that's just so arrogant. What they're actually betraying is a distorted view that their Christianity, their understanding of what Christianity actually is, is off, okay? We're not talking about you. We're talking about Jesus, When we talk about Christianity and that you just trust him, that's all you need to know. And you can be sure. Do you understand what confidence that gives? So, and I'm sorry, uh, I am so thankful that uh, the Rodriguez family is here today. Um, Chris just went to be with uh, with her Lord this week. And the last few days she was not conscious. The last time that when she was speaking, I was speaking with her and she spoke, she prayed the Lord's Prayer along with us. But the great news is my, the why I am 100% sure that Chris is with her Savior right now is not because of Chris, but because of her Savior. You get it? I am 100%. And we're going to celebrate this Thursday evening at 6.30, by the way, here, her life and the eternal life God has given her, and we're 100% sure about it. And in the midst of our grief, we have that hope, and the hope is not wishful thinking. The hope is absolute certainty we're going to see her again and we're going to celebrate with her she's going to be dancing like she's never danced for a long time because of all the pain and agony that she's had in different ways she's going to celebrate her savior as she is doing right now in his face right we're going to see it and that is our hope that's the certainty we have no other faith system that i know of has that certainty everyone says you know well maybe you could be 90 percent sure Better than 50-50? Hopefully God grades on a curve of some type, you know? Somewhere you'll fall, you know? This, you can know 100% sure. That's what Paul says, and this is why we know whom we know. So secondly, what does it mean to know? So the work gnosis, that's the Greek word here, um, there's a number of different meanings for the word knowledge. You know? And the word Greek word gnosis is something that the philosophers in Greek and Rome all did. Talked about knowledge and the importance of knowledge and how you can know something and all that stuff. I'd rather for you today that we don't go to the Greeks to figure this out, but we go to the Hebrews, Old Testament, the scriptures, and find out in the Old Testament what the word means. And the word that was translated into Greek gnosis in Hebrew is the word yada, okay? Not yada, yada, like, you know, but Well, I guess it's the same, but yada, which means to know. And it occurs for the first time. So the word basically means an intimate knowledge, a relationship knowledge, a living into the life of someone, having a close personal relationship with someone. And why do I say that, that kind of knowledge? It's because the first time it occurs is in Genesis chapter four, verse one. And this is how it's, what is written there. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Do you understand? So I know it's a euphemism there in one sense for that Adam and Eve had sexual relations, but what it underlines is the fact that the knowledge that the Bible talks about when you want to know the Lord is that it's an intimate relation of how you've entered into the life of someone else and with someone else that you have know them. So, you know, you might know about the Kardashians from everything that you've watched in social media and on TV. Um, But do you know the Kardashians? First of all, I don't really care to myself, but the point is to know the Kardashians mean you can call them up. You can go over to their house. You can ask them for a favor. They know you by name. That's how you know the Kardashians. Or do you just know about him? Same is with God. Do you know about him, that there is a God? Or do you know him, that you can call him up, called prayer? That you can go over to his house, that you know he's present in your life, that you can call on him, that you can trust him, that you know him. Do you understand what I'm saying the difference is? Yeah, there's knowledge. There's information. There's that Greek way of thinking, I've got this information there I know. But the Bible is not a book of dictionary dogmas. It's not a bunch of trivia. It's not a bunch of information just for Google to kind of download. The Bible is actually a story from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's a narrative partly because it's about an encounter, a living encounter with a personal God that you can come to know personally. Recently, I've been reading um, for a class I'm going to teach in January 2022 at FGCU. Um, I know I've told you about this. Religion and politics in America. Why would I subject myself to create a class on this? Because right now, it's a mess. That's why. And I think we need some clear thinking about it. Whether I bring that, I'm not sure. but. I'm reading a book by George Marsden, just finished it, called Religion in American Culture. And in it, he writes this, close to 90% of early 21st century Americans profess to believe in some sort of God. As many as 70% say they believe in such things as heaven or in angels. And then he quotes, and a late 20th century Gallup survey concluded that only 13% of Americans had what might be called a truly transforming faith manifested in measurable behavioral ways. Do you get what's going on here? Most people talk about knowing about God and that they believe something, but nothing really matters, really, because it doesn't transform their faith. Jesus talked about this difference in knowledge as well. In the Sermon on the Mount, towards the end, he writes this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we're gonna talk about what is the will of God in just a moment. But on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And you might go like, ouch, wow, they did all sorts of things. But notice who's the center of it all. Didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? Look at me, look at me, look at me. They made Christianity about the Christian instead of the Christ. Notice they didn't say, which I hope that I might say, that you would say, that we all say in the end is like, Lord, didn't you promise? Didn't you die for the sins of the whole world, as 1 John 2 says? Didn't you promise? Aren't you the advocate? Aren't you the righteous one? Aren't you the one that has forgiven my sins? Aren't you the one that has called me by name? Do you understand the difference? And Jesus says, you got it that's what it was all about. To know God is to know what God has done for you, what he has promised for you, what he has given to you. And you can know that 100%. It's not about IQ. It's not about a bunch of information. It's about his propitiation, his covering over your sins. It's the same sentiment, by the way, the gospel of John talks about this. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people and the people are like really excited. They want more of that bread. I guess it was some good stuff, right? And so they run after him and try to track him down. When they find him, this is what they say in John 6, 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, Jesus, show us the technique. Give us the information. Show us the trick so we can do what you did and get what you d- give us what we want. And Jesus responds, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus says it's, it's not about information. It's not about some trick. What God wants, what God's will is for you, is to know the one he has sent to trust him and to believe in him. That is Jesus. And you might think, oh, that's so simple. No, it is not that simple because it means that you're no longer in control. The last thing any human being really wants to ever do is to say, Jesus, take the wheel. Now, I know that song, that's out there, right? But notice what happens and when it finally happens in the song is when everything has gone come fluey and finally in the midst of an accident, <laughs> right? Okay, now, God, it's time. Nobody, until you desperately are at the point where you know there is no other option. Human beings want to stay in control and get Jesus to, I want to be on the throne and tell Jesus what to do. That's the way I want the setup, and that's not really knowing God. To trust God means to die to that self-control, to be decentered out of life, so that Christianity ain't about me anymore, it's about Jesus. The New Testament calls this a number of ways. It's called repentance. It's called being born again. It's being called, kind of being turned around. It's called being put to death and raised to life. Um, Boy, this last week, um, I had a long conversation with somebody who had been watching us online uh, for a few weeks, which is great. I'm glad people do watch us online. We have a number of people that either through the hi there, live stream, like right now or later during the week. And um, we're glad you're there. But this person called me up because um, she wanted to know. um, She liked kind of what she heard, but she wanted to know if this church fit with who she believed, she authentically. And I I, I thought, boy, you use that word authentic an awful lot. How do you know who you authentically are? Do you understand, like, how do you ever figure out who you really are? What's your identity? The only way I know it is because of what God tells me. <laughs> if I go in and look for my feelings all the time figure, okay, what do, my feelings change every day. And there are desires that if I follow those, those would not be good things. Probably would never get out of bed and go to work just to start. That's probably the best of the desires that I'm talking about right now. So it was like she, it just felt like, wow, you still want to stay in control and have a church that fits who you are and have Jesus and everyone else wrap around the fact that this is who you think you are and God has to. She was looking for affirmation. And the church, I'm sorry, brings conviction. If you don't have a God who can contradict you, What kind of a God do you have? Okay? I think God contradicts me daily. Like, (laughs) and that's what Paul, or John talked about. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God contradicts me daily, and daily I go like, Got to get off that throne again, Lord. I'm sorry I was trying to crawl back on. That's why I think Jürgen Moltmann put it this way. He said, to know God means to suffer God, says a wise old theological saying. To suffer God means experiencing in oneself the death pangs of the old man and the birth pangs of the new. The Old Testament already tells us that he who looks upon God must die. The closer people get to the divine reality, the more deeply they are drawn into this dying and this rebirth. This becomes vividly present experience in the figure of the crucified Jesus. And Jesus even speaks about this when he says, you want to save your life? You just want your life affirmed. You're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. That's death, resurrection. To know God, you do say, Jesus, not only take the wheel, take all of me, everything that I've got, I need you. And Jesus enters your life and knows you better than you know yourself. Isn't that amazing? So now, how do you live because you know? John, at the end of this passage, says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus, he walked. Now, notice, first of all, even like with this first passage, to know that you know that you keep his commandments, The operative word, I think, in all of this is his. This Bible passage doesn't say, you got to keep the Ten Commandments, or the 613 commandments that you can find in the first five books of Moses, or the kosher food laws or the rituals or the practices, because Christianity has never been about outward behavior and conformity. It has always been an inward behavior, a change of heart. And what Jesus says, the command that Jesus gives is actually this, in John 13 that he's referring to, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you also love one another. I'm not advocating anybody breaking the Ten Commandments in any form. But the heart of the Ten Commandments in the end is to love others as you have been loved. And you are empowered to love others and can walk in that love because you know that you have been loved and you've received that love from God. You know, the Pharisees probably kept the law more... Perfectly than any other human beings ever could. And yet Jesus castigates them and calls them short on the righteousness they would need. You cannot keep the law good enough for God. Period. Dead stop. Mic drop. Jesus loves you, forgives you, fulfills the law for you, And then empowers you to love in response to his love. That's why Paul writes in Romans, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The whole intent of the law was love. Here's the reality that we've kind of been talking about, sort of the reality of what sin is. Sin actually, you know what sin does? Sin separates you from others. Sin cuts off, sin isolates you, sin insulates you against the needs of others. What sin really does is it destroys community, community that God has intended. Uh, Robert Jensen, um, pretty brilliant theologian, basically said every word for sin in the Bible, Old or New Testament, is one form or another relating to how it betrays community. It goes against others. And love, on the other hand, binds. Love heals. Love seen as forgiveness is sacrificial love, giving up rights for the sake of others, and changing reality, reconciling, putting together, enabling, and empowering what community all is. So it appears that when John is writing this letter, he's thinking about these people who probably have kind of a religion of knowledge up here in the head, And they think now they're above it all. And they can wrap everything around them and just be affirmed by God because they think they know. Sadly, I think a lot of 21st century American religion is very similar. I've got this knowledge. I'm good. I can live whatever way I want. And now I go to church, if I do, for therapeutic affirmation of who I already am, that nothing needs to really change. An American religion has, believes more in human potential than God's promises, more in self-fulfillment than service to others, more in being comfortable than the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's a lot more about me these days, if you ever go anywhere, than it is about Jesus. I've been told by different people at different times, man, I'm just surprised I go to some churches and I hardly hear anything about Jesus. I hear all about 12 Steps to a Better You. Yeah? So that Gallup survey that I mentioned before, where only 13% of people in the United States responded in such a way they could see that their faith actually caused changes in their behavior. They had a transformative faith that Gallup basically found out about. They also found that the people who said that, that said faith really mattered, that their faith, they also were the same people that spent significant amount of time in serving other people. They were also less likely to be prejudiced against people of other races, and they were also more giving and forgiving. And that they basically, this is how Gallup put it, they bucked the trend of many in society today toward narcissism and privatism. That's the religion of our day and age, right? It's me, it's all about me. Christianity is about me, the Christian. And it's about me having my own little thing, and don't you mess around with it. That's not walking the way of Jesus. Jesus walked. Now, don't get snarky and say he walked in sandals. That's the way I'm supposed to do it. You know, Some of you probably are wearing sandals today. Great. But that's not it. Just another rule. Just another rule. He walked in utter dependence of his father. He didn't walk centered on himself. He walked focused on others to glorify his father In step with the Spirit. That's what it means for you to walk, for me to walk. To focus on others, glorifying the Father in step with the Spirit. So Ephesians 5, Paul says it this way. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I think that's a good way to end. So, the payoff today, you know you can know. You can be sure. Being sure is not being arrogant, it's not really saying much about you, it's saying a lot about Jesus. And because you know and are known by Him, you now can respond and not have your whole life about you, but about Jesus. Glorifying the Father, serving others in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day, for this time together. Thank you for this book of 1 John. Um, it may, it, some might say, wow, that's pretty heavy for a vacation mode, Lord. But you know, it's just so good to hear your word and hear the truth of your word that, Lord, our lives, is really about you, Lord Jesus and what you've done for us, and how we could just respond in thankfulness and praise. We pray, Lord God, that um, our Christianity is such that we don't focus on ourselves, that, um, and I pray for anyone here right now who might be kind of like, oh, I'm not so sure about, well, let them know they don't have to look at themselves to find certainty. They can look to you and know that they are certainly and absolutely loved, that when you died for the sins of the whole world, that includes anything in their life, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for that. We pray, Lord, that um, our fellowship here, however it is, however it works, however you may have it grow, Lord, um, that it's about you and not going to be about any specific person or individual or thing. Lord, when we share our stories that our stories are really about you and how you've worked your grace in our lives and we can give glory and thanks to you. Lord, we do lift up those right now who need your healing touch. We think of Rachel and Kai out in California and pray you be with them. For Christopher in Michigan, that you be with him. Lord God, for all those who have been traveling and who are traveling from our congregation, for the students uh, from FGCU, a part of our ministry but now are at home, Uh, We just pray that your spirit would be upon them and you keep us united over the miles, no matter where we are located, Lord God, and that uh, you would have us all walk in love, that we follow after and imitate after how you have loved us, Lord, in your son, Jesus Christ. We do thank you, Lord, for the life of Chris uh, Rodriguez. Lord, um, her personality and um, the way that she carried herself about Displayed your goodness and grace to her and the promises that you gave to her, Lord God. We pray that you'd be with Jamie and uh, the whole family. Uh, Lord, with Jennifer and with Shelby and uh, with Hillary and Courtney and Gary and the grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Lord God, that you comfort them, that they can be sure that grandma, that mom, that Chris is with you and that one day we will too be united and to celebrate, Lord, that you have given us that certainty that what you did through your death and resurrection gives us that 100% certainty and we trust you for it. So bless the memorial service this week, Lord. Bless our fellowship. Bless the fathers who are present here this day, Lord. Help us to model for our children and our family, and uh, as mentors in the community as well, Lord, what it means to follow you and be in step with your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for those who have been with us online today. We ask that you'd bless them and keep them in your care and mercy and grace. And as we uh, give ourselves to you, Lord, we also are uh, giving of our tithes and offerings to give you praise and glory this day. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.